This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... The victory comes following years of political instability. Not one premier has managed to hold a full five-year term in office in over a decade. That's Faith Noadishi, Executive Director of Center for Transparency Advocacy on the discovery of a major effort to steal oil from Nigeria's pipeline company. Details coming up also. The head of Chad's military government says a government of national union will be created within days. The trial of former Liberian commander accused of crimes against humanity begins. And at least 76 people died in a boat that capsized in Nigeria's heavy flooding. We'll have these stories and more ahead on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. The trial of former Liberian commander accused of crimes against humanity begins in France today. The accused, referred to as Kuntike, is alleged to have taken part in torture and other crimes in Liberia's first civil war between 1989 and 1996. We have live online standing by the host of Daybreak Africa, James Butty, to brief us on the matter. Welcome to African News Tonight, James. Thank you so much for inviting me. To start out, James, who is this accused former battlefield commander from Liberia who goes by the name of Kunti K? Kunti K, the K stands for Kamara. Kunti Kamara is a former commander for the United Liberation Movement of Liberia, also known as ULIMO. It was one of the several rebel groups that uh, took part in the first civil war in Liberia, uh, which lasted uh, between 1989 to 1996. And as we know, many of these uh, rebel groups were known to have committed alleged war crimes and crimes against humanity. So, James, uh, enumerate the crimes he's accused of committing. As I was saying again, the civil war was characterized by alleged atrocities. Mr. Kunti Kamara... As alleged by a group called Civitas Maxima, he's accused of crimes of torture, cannibalism, and other crimes against humanity, including sexual abuse and violence. The accused person, uh, how are the people of Liberia reacting to, to today's trial in France regarding these accusations? First of all, this trial is coming at a time that uh, there's been demand. The demands are growing in Liberia. Many groups are demanding the establishment of a war crimes court. This was the recommendation made by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Liberia to kind of bring closure to those who were impacted by the civil war. According to local media in Liberia, Kuti's alleged victims are happy about his trial. Many named him as responsible for the murders in 1993, uh, in which they said that six people, men, were killed in Lofa County. What could be the the punishment for this kind of crime uh, if he is ever found guilty? What the people are saying is that they don't want justice. And I was talking to a human rights campaigner just recently on my program. Justice is the key word. And I said, well, people don't 
people are arguing, some Liberians are arguing that if you insist on punishing people for what they for what happened, then you know you are destabilizing the country. But people say there cannot be stability without justice. justice. All they want is justice first. Daybreak Africa's yes. host, James Butty. Thank you for your input. Thank you so much. Forty-eight-year-old Kunti K is a former battlefront commander for the United Liberation Movement of Liberia. He was arrested in 2018 in France, whose Court of Appeals has universal jurisdiction to investigate and prosecute participants of serious crimes. He says he is innocent. This is the first trial in which France has tried a case based on violence committed in another country besides Rwanda. Human Rights Watch and other groups are urging Liberia to establish its own criminal court to try those involved in its brutal civil war. For more on the matter, we have head of the French to Africa service, Timothy Donangmai. Welcome to Africa News Tonight, Timothy. My pleasure. So, what is the reaction from people regarding the announcement so far? Well, uh, one must say that this is not what the military leaders of Chad promised when uh, they came to power after the death of uh, President Idris Deby Itno. At that time, they said they would be there just for the transition, and then they would hand power to a civilian government after uh, a national forum. Now, the national forum happened, but General Idris Deby, Mohamed Idris Deby Itno, is allowed to remain at the helm of the country for 24 more months, and then he is eligible in the next presidential election. So this is not what was promised, so some people in Chad are, are really disappointed. Uh, I'm sure they are. Are the countries, uh, besides the people, are the countries three main rebel groups and much of the political opposition behind uh, Debbie's announcement? One of the main opposition groups, the fact the Front for Concord in um, for Ch- the Front for Change and Concord in Chad of uh, Mahamad Mahdi Ali is not part of this uh, transition plan. It denounced the transition plan. Also inside Chad, we have the Wakitama coalition. Wakitama, which is in, which means in local Arabic, time is up. Uh, this is a coalition of uh, uh, political parties, uh, trade unions. This coalition is also uh, rejecting this uh, transition plan. There's also the main opposition party now called the Transformers, led by a young politician, Sukse Masra. His group also uh, opposed this transition plan. So uh, there, there are many Chadians who uh, oppose this plan. So are you saying that Debbie uh, expects uh, to run for president? Uh, it, it is clear. It is clear because for a long time he refrained from stating his uh, intentions concerning the, the next election, presidential elections, which could only mean one thing, that he, he plans to run. And now he is legally allowed to do so. So... Uh, nothing prevents him from running, and uh, n- no one uh, would expect him not to run. Head of the French to Africa service, Timothy Donangmai, thank you for your input. You're welcome. 
We also apologize for the intro. Uh, Timothy Donangmai was talking about the announcement by Mahamat Idris Debi Itno following a forum that ended Saturday which appointed him as a transitional president. Officials say Lesotho's newly formed Revolution for Prosperity Party has won the majority of seats in the just-ended general elections, giving it an upper hand to form the next government. The seven-month-old party, led by millionaire mining magnate Sam Matikain, beat 52 formations to take the lead. The election was conducted without major incident, but concerns have emerged about errors in the voter rolls. To Sokumalo reports from Masuru Johannesburg. These Revolutionary for Prosperity RFP party supporters are celebrating a good poll performance that has surprised many. The party's campaigns were anchored on ending poverty and improving poor service delivery. Ntati Murosi, the party secretary general, told VOA her party is committed to changing the lives of the people. We are very excited, we are happy. This is history in Lesotho. We've never seen a party that is formed within such a short time, uh, winning so many constituencies. Tato Tinini, who says she voted for the RFP, she told VOA that she is already foreseeing a brighter future. We are so happy because now God answer our, our prayer. We are so happy, we are so appreciate what God has done to us. Thank you, Lord, because Madigat is our king, our president in Lesotho. However, others are not happy. Some party leaders allege that supporters were told that their names do not appear on the voters' list, despite having cards confirming that they are registered. Lepoto Tamai, leader of the Basoto Poverty Solution Party, expressed his frustrations to VOA. The sign of my party wasn't available into the ballots meaning that uh, my, my BPSP wasn't available into the ballots. And then they voted for this, the second option party that they can vote for. The Independent Electoral Commission spokesperson, Tuoi Hansi, has denied allegations that errors in the voters' role were intentional. We don't take any authority from anybody. We are 100% independent in our decisions and in our operations. Preliminary statements from several observer missions have described the election as generally free and fair, while noting errors in the voters' list. Lesotho is one of the poorest countries in Southern Africa. Citizens lack basic services such as water, employment, food and education. As of last year, youth unemployment stood at 34% according to the World Bank. The newcomers are expected to try to clean up Lesotho's international image after past political violence saw police and army clashing during an attempted coup. Tusokumalo for VOA News, Maseru Lesotho. Nigerian authorities say at least 76 people died in a boat that capsized in heavy flooding in southeastern 
Anambara State. Authorities say at least 15 were rescued a day after the Friday accident in the Ogabaru area. Scores are reported to be missing. A local resident told Reuters that some residents had to travel by boat because flooding had destroyed the road linking eight communities to the rest of the area. He said after its engine stalled, the boat, which could carry more than 100 people, was overpowered by waves. Nigerian maritime authorities say plans are underway to deploy round-the-clock surveillance to watch for oil theft. The head of Nigeria's petroleum company told the legislative committee that a four-kilometer pipeline from the Forcado's export terminal has been used to steal oil for nine years, resulting in the theft of hundreds of thousands of barrels of oil per day. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja, Nigeria. The Director General of the Nigerian Maritime Administration and Safety Agency, Bashir Jamal, revealed the new pipeline surveillance plans during a weekly ministerial meeting in the capital. Jamal said the operation includes manned and unmanned aircraft, helicopters, ships and armored vehicles, all connected to a headquarters known as the C4I Center. He said selected officers from the agency are undergoing three weeks of training innately to enable them operate the aircraft. He described the drones. It can move up to 100 kilometers and can remain 10 hours in one place, taking data and sending it to our own CPOI center for possible intervention. Earlier, officials from the Nigerian National Petroleum Company announced the discovery of a four-kilometer-long pipeline that had been tapping oil illegally from the coast of Forcado's export terminal for almost a decade. Jama said the illegal site was uncovered during a raid weeks ago. Authorities have not said who built it and no arrests have been made. Experts say the discovery of the underwater pipeline shows formerly unknown levels of sophistication among oil thieves. Mele Kiari, the managing director of the National Petroleum Company, said Nigeria is losing an alarming 600,000 barrels of oil every day, triple the figure initially estimated. But Emmanuel Afimia, the founder of an Abuja energy consulting firm, says it is not only oil theft that is contributing to Nigeria's huge oil losses. Aside oil theft, there are some reasons why um, Nigeria's production is declining. Lack of capital injection as one of the um, reasons why Nigeria is currently um, experiencing declining oil production. So while battling with um, oil theft, this other aspect needs to be addressed. If not, we might end up um, chasing shadows. The executive director of the Center for Transparency Advocacy, Faith Nwadishi, says authorities are to blame for the situation too. There are not things that you steal with uh, 50 liters, 100 liters jerry can. We're talking about 90% crude oil theft. It means that somebody has not been responsible and somebody needs to begin to take responsibility. Who are the people that were in charge? In August, Nigeria awarded pipeline surveillance contracts and launched an online monitoring and reporting platform to enable citizens to anonymously tip off authorities about oil theft cases. Last month, President Mohamed Buhari said oil theft was putting the Nigerian economy in a precarious situation. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria.
The UN and the Red Cross say heat waves will become so extreme in the coming decades that human life will no longer be sustainable in some regions. In a joint report, the two organizations say among the hardest hit regions will be Africa's Sahel region and Southwest Asia. The study warns that the impact would mean large-scale suffering and loss of life, population movements, and further entrenched inequality. It says among those who are most vulnerable to heat-related illnesses are agricultural workers, the elderly, and breastfeeding women. According to the French news agency AFP, the report says solutions include providing early information to help people and authorities react to time and finding new ways to finance local-level action. Next month, the UN's COP27 summit in Egypt will discuss the issue along with measures for climate adaptation and mitigation. In an opening speech to the UNHCR's Executive Committee, UN High Commissioner for Refugees Filippo Grandi appealed to member states to provide protection to people fleeing conflict and persecution regardless of ethnicity and nationality. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. The UN Refugee Agency, or UNHCR, reports the number of people forcibly displaced by armed conflict, violence, discrimination, persecution and climate shocks has hit an all-time high of 100 million. High Commissioner Filippo Grandi says the climate emergency increasingly drives displacement, making life harder for those already uprooted. He says the link between climate change and displacement is clear and growing. We see it in the Horn of Africa, for example, where people are forced to flee by a combination of conflict and drought. More than one million have been displaced in Somalia alone since January 2021. Around 80% of refugees are from countries that are most affected by the climate emergency. Most African refugees flee for safety to neighboring countries. However, many make the perilous journey to Europe in search of asylum and a better life. Grandi notes that they and refugees fleeing conflict and persecution from other parts of the world, such as Afghanistan and the Middle East, too often are turned back by European countries. He says the reception of these refugees stands in stark contrast to the generous welcome by European countries to some 7 million Ukrainian refugees who fled Russia's invasion of their country. The Ukrainian crisis debunked so many myths that we have heard over the years from some politicians. Europe is full. Public opinion is against taking in more refugees. Relocation is impossible. He says efforts to deny access to territory for those seeking asylum, often through violent pushbacks, must be rejected. I also reject what we have heard some politicians on this continent tell their voters that Ukrainians are real refugees, while others fleeing similar horrors, but from different parts of the world, are not. There is only one word to, to define this attitude, racist. Grandi adds failures on the part of member states to uphold their international protection obligations is deeply worrying and concerning. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. 
Some African countries want next month's CITES meeting in Panama to list all African elephants under Appendix 1, which is reserved for species on the brink of extinction. A similar proposal failed at the last meeting as Africa has split listings for elephants. From Habrone, Botswana, reporter Mokandisi Dube has the details. Burkina Faso, Equatorial Guinea, Mali and Senegal want elephant range states in southern Africa, including Botswana, Namibia, South Africa and Zimbabwe, to be barred from exporting elephant products. They want the elephants to be elevated to the highest listing, which will prohibit trade in elephant products and hunting of the animals. However, Southern Africa is a growing elephant population. Some of the elephant range states want to be allowed the once-off sale of their ivory stockpiles. Botswana is the largest elephant head in the world. The country's director of wildlife and national parks, Gabelo Sinyazo, says the push to ban elephant trade is based on emotions. So of course, Botswana, as uh, the rest of SADC, is unhappy with uh, a, a lot of the restrictions that uh, CITES has otherwise imposed on, on us. And, and, and part of the, the frustrations uh, for us and uh, fellow SADC member states is that the, the decisions um, are not based on science. So there's, there's a lot of emotion, uh, particularly by uh, people that don't live with these animals, so they don't uh, get to experience the negative effects of, of what uh, a high elephant... Uh, population means for the landscape. Southern African countries have threatened to pull out of CITES if some of their demands are not met. SADC, as um, the, the, the area that supports the highest numbers of elephants, needs to have a greater voice in, in directing um, how these resources are, are used and, and, and traded. And so we have, uh, as SADC member states, have commissioned um, some work to help us look through the options um, of, of, of how we could trade uh, within CITES and how we could trade outside of CITES. Conservationist Map Ive says it to be ideal if the issue is put to vote at CITES. The guys at CITES use you know, what should be a democratic system of voting to make decisions on these matters. And uh, if the majority vote against the uh, utilisation, and you will note that I don't use the phrase sustainable utilization because I think it's an oxymoron. Um, but the utilization of these animals, then the majority will have their, their say. Southern Africa has more than half of the continent's elephant population and is currently conducting a census to determine the animal's numbers and distribution patterns. For VOA, this is Nkondisi Dube in Havroni, Botswana. On a two-day visit to Algeria, French Prime Minister Elisabeth Borne called for a new dynamic in trade ties between the two countries. Addressing an economic forum in Algiers today, both she and President Abdul Majid Tabouni agreed that Algeria needs to diversify its economy, including a move away from dependence on exports of natural gas. The French news agency AFP says among sectors suggested for growth are agriculture, pharmaceutical and vaccine production, as well as renewable energy. European officials have been turning towards Algeria as the EU has reduced energy supplies from Russia due to its war in Ukraine. AFP says the community's energy commissioner is also expected to be in Algiers today and Tuesday. However, the French prime minister's office has said deliveries of gas to France, the second largest investor in Algeria, are not part of her visit.
And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Joe Gill, thanks for choosing the Voice of America. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station.